Our scripture reading this morning comes from the letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. I invite you to read these scriptures with me. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Do you remember that feeling whenever you were little and did something wrong and broke something of your parents? Especially if it was something that you knew that was really important to them and and they told you not to play around it and yet you did it anyway. And just the, the feeling of your stomach turning itself in knots, trying to figure out how you can get out of it. Maybe I can glue it back together. Maybe I can hide it. Maybe I can blame it on my brother. Maybe, maybe I can make an excuse I wasn't feeling well. Someone came into our house and threw the baseball that broke the vase just trying to figure out a way out of it, knowing that you're going to have to confront them at some point, and they would find out, and you would have to deal with that. Well, that's difficult whenever we're little. It's sometimes even harder whenever we're big. I remember whenever I was in my 20s in seminary, and Courtney and I had just been married a few months, and we're living at a house that was provided to her by the church where she was serving as a youth minister. And I was sitting in the living room with some friends and was holding a volleyball and decided to throw that to my friend without warning, and he was not quick enough to get his hands over, and I also did not throw it very accurately. And so instead of landing in his hands where he was able to catch it, it hit our window and broke it. And I just remember that feeling of, of my stomach dropping, and, and that wasn't supposed to happen. He was supposed to catch it, and it was supposed to be fine. And now I had broken a window and had to own that. And so I remember the feeling of I knew that I was going to have to call the property manager, who I barely knew, and I was going to have to confess to breaking something and, and, uh, and just dealing with that. And, and I felt so awful about it. I just felt nervous the entire time. And so I called her, and she ended up coming by to take a look at it. And she said, you know what? That's no big deal. I think our staff can fix it. And so she didn't use the word forgiveness, but that was what I felt. I felt like, like I had transgressed them and that she had released me from that. And just the feeling, all of a sudden, it was like I had been carrying this burden on my back and I was able just to let it go because she had released me from it. Whenever we've done something wrong, whenever we know that we've wronged someone, we long to hear the words, I forgive you. They can absolutely transform everything for us. But sometimes we, we have trouble accepting them, and we have trouble offering them to others as well. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're finishing up our sermon series, Words We Long to Hear, and we've been talking about some of those phrases that are so important for our relationships, that are so important for us to hear from others, and also that, that we desperately need to say to them if we're going to have strong and lasting relationships. And so last week we looked at the words, I'm sorry, and we talked about confession and how it can open the door to reconciliation. This week, we're talking about what comes after, I'm sorry, after we apologize, after we confess, what happens next? Those two sets of words are so important for our relationships. I'm sorry, and I forgive you, and yet they can be so difficult for us. But we learn that that those two sets of words go together. As children, we learn that when someone says, I'm sorry, the correct response is, 
I forgive you. It's kind of like when someone says thank you, we learn that the correct response is you're welcome. And it's something that that we just are automatically trained to say. And that's good. It's good practice for us. It's good for us to practice forgiveness just by saying that. And yet often we don't actually progress beyond that understanding of forgiveness. We kind of stay at that level. Forgiveness is something that we say to others whenever they wrong us, but but that's really it. After you say that, then, then it's over and you all just move on like nothing happened. Well, that doesn't really work very well. It doesn't work really well whenever we're small, but especially whenever we grow up, whenever we're adults, that it doesn't work that way. Just saying I forgive you does not mean that anything changes in our hearts, and it doesn't mean that our relationship is just going to be able to move forward. Because forgiveness does not come naturally or easily for us. It's a difficult thing for us, and it's something that, that, we, don't easily, um, that we don't easily offer because there's, there's something to us that wants to hold on whenever somebody wrongs us. We, we want to see justice for that. We want to see what our wrong corrected somehow. And sometimes we even want vengeance, and yet that can eat us up if we're not careful. Because unforgiveness... Um, Even though it can feel righteous in the moment, it's like carrying around a burden that's not ours. Whenever someone hurts us somehow, whenever it's like if they throw a rock at us and we just hold on to it and we just accumulate those. Every time someone wrongs us, we just pick it up and carry it with us because we're going to hold on to whatever they did and we're going to remember it. And yet eventually we, we become so burdened by those things that we can't even find a way to move forward. And while it's difficult to offer forgiveness, it's difficult to say sometimes, it's even more difficult to actually um, release those things and let go of them, to actually experience the forgiveness inside of us. Without forgiveness, we can never be free. We'll just be tying ourselves up and not holding on to things, burying grudges, and, and not able to move on in our relationships, not able to experience reconciliation. And so it's absolutely vital that we learn how to forgive and that we learn how to accept forgiveness as well. And so we're going to look at what the scriptures tell us, and specifically we're going to look at the teachings of Jesus, what he says. And one of the things that we see really clearly is that for followers of Jesus, forgiveness is not optional. It's not something that he says, you know, this would be a good idea if you want to be a basic disciple, you know, you don't have to forgive, but if you really don't want to be a great one, if you want to be a, you know, a level two disciple, then you can practice forgiveness. It's something that's, that's expected for all of us. And so this is what he says. He teaches his disciples to pray. He teaches them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And and forgiveness is so fundamental that it's actually included in this prayer. He says, pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so he talks about, um, about our sins, our trespasses, our shortcomings as, as like debts. There's something that, that we owe to God because we've fallen short. And, uh, and so he says, includes in that pray, when you pray, pray this way and, and to ask for forgiveness. And, and not only that, did you catch the second part? Not just forgive us our debts as what? As we have forgiven our debtors. And so not only do we ask forgiveness from God, but, but he actually tells us that our forgiveness is connected to the way that we forgive others. And so he continues, And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. And, and he concludes with kind of an explanatory note that's not part of the prayer. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
that's a really heavy teaching. It's, it's a hard thing for us to accept. And yet Jesus says that our forgiveness is intimately tied to how we forgive others. Forgiving others is so serious. Jesus says that our own forgiveness is tied to it. I think part of the reason that, that he says that is because if for us to be able to forgive others, we have to actually be able to accept that we are forgiven as well. Sometimes it's a feeling of our own inadequacy, of, of our own guilt, of, of our own shame that, that makes it difficult for us to extend forgiveness of others to others. And so Jesus acknowledges that, that we have to be able to, to forgive others, to be able to forgive we have to be able to forgive others to be able to accept God's forgiveness of us. And so he, he tells his disciples, this is how it is if you're going to follow me, that, that you will forgive others. And, and so later on, Peter asks a question when Jesus is talking about, about uh, forgiveness. So he says, okay, Jesus, you know, I, I know that we're supposed to forgive, but, you know, how many times are we supposed to forgive others? You know, the, I know that I should, but, but surely there are limits to this thing, right? And so this is what, uh, what we read in Matthew 18. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. And in fact, some translations put that differently. They put it at 70 times seven. That is 490, as Miss Megan helped us do the math earlier. But that's a lot of times. And, um, and so I, I think about that. You know, Peter was, Peter was trying to be generous. Like seven feels like a lot of times. Like, okay, you've sinned against me seven times. That's like three strikes and you're out twice, and then even an extra one beyond that. But Jesus says, no, 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 that, that's not how it's going to be. You're going to forgive 77 or, or 70 times seven times. And even that, what he's really saying is, is not just this is how many, you know, keep a tally mark, make sure that you keep a piece of paper handy so every time they sin against you, you can keep track of it so that whenever you get to 490, then, then you can let go of it. But, but what he's really saying is you're, every time they sin against you, you're called to forgive. His answer essentially was every time. Because I, I think about the, the relationships that I'm in. I think about, you know, whenever Courtney and I were first married and, and, and just the forgiveness that I've needed from her over the years. And 77 times, that probably got me through about the first month of marriage. You know, that's, that's a little more, that's like uh, two and a half a day. That, that sounds about right. Uh, that's how many times I, I needed her to forgive me. And, uh, and we're all in desperate need of forgiveness. If you're doing online learning right now, you and your kid probably need 77 times of forgiveness just per session that, that you're working together. Or at least that's how it goes in our house. It's, it's tough right now. We, we all need forgiveness, and, and there's no limit to what God asks of us. Because if we're going to have relationships that move forward, we can't have a limit to our forgiveness. In the same way that God's forgiveness of us has no limit. And so we know that we're called to forgive, and not just called to forgive once or seven times, but as many times as it takes. What does forgiveness look like? What does that actually look like in practice? Well, I want to look at a few things that forgiveness is not, a few things that it does not look like. And so first, forgiveness is not condoning the offense. It's not saying that that's okay. And in fact, I think it's interesting that one of the kind of synonyms that we have for I forgive you or that we use in place of that is it's okay. You know, um, someone takes the last Coke and, and doesn't refill the refrigerator. What do we say? Not I forgive you, but, but that's okay. And, you know, that probably is okay. There are a few situations where not refilling the refrigerator are a serious offense. 
But sometimes the things that we do are actually hurtful. And, uh, and if we're tempted to say, okay, we're actually condoning it, that's, that's not what apologizing is. Whenever we say, I forgive you, it's not saying that, that what you did is okay. Another thing that it's not is a way of avoiding conflict. It's not conflict avoidance. And, you know, sometimes, especially if we don't want to have a confrontation with someone who's wronged us, we'll just say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to forgive them and, and I'm going to move on. And, you know, there are some things that probably don't warrant uh, confrontation, but, but sometimes that's also an excuse. And particularly if you're wired like me, it's easier for me just to swallow things and, and then to move on with my life. But, but if we're really honest about that, Whenever we do that, we don't actually forgive it. We usually hold on to it and kind of store that up, and eventually those things come out. And uh, while we tell ourselves that we're just forgiving the thing, we're actually holding on to them. In fact, Jesus gives us instructions for how to confront someone, how to have a good conflict. He says, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. Now, now, does he say go and blast them on social media? It's, no, he doesn't. I know the disciples weren't tweeting a lot back then, but, but disciples of Jesus are tweeting now or whatever social media network they're on. And so it's tempting sometimes to, to just blast people publicly. What he says is go to them whenever you're alone. Have, have a confrontation and let them know the offense. And, and it's really important the way that he closes that What's the purpose of the confrontation? It's not letting them know how bad they are. It's not about being right. If, a member, if the member listens to you, you have regained that one. In other words, the purpose is reconciliation, that we can come back together, that we can be reconciled. So forgiveness is not a, a way of avoiding conflict. It's not a way of just skipping over that and trying to move on without acknowledging it. It's also not the absence of boundaries. Um, sometimes we say, I forgive you whenever someone, um, you know, someone does something, and that's fine to offer forgiveness, but it's not the same thing as becoming a doormat. I think particularly in some circles, um, living in this part of the country, we think of niceness as the cardinal virtue. Well, Scripture talks about kindness, but that's not the same thing as niceness. And if we're really honest about how niceness plays out a lot of times, that we're really nice to people to their face, and then whenever they're gone, we turn to somebody else and say, can you believe them? They think I'm going to forgive them. I know I said I forgive you, and it's fine, but that's not fine. We, we just talk about them and, can, and have these side conversations and gossip, and, and it's, it's really terrible and hurts our witness. Forgiveness is not about just saying whatever we have to and allowing people to continue the behavior. It's not opposed to having boundaries. In fact, it's important for us to have boundaries. And Jesus talks about that whenever he teaches about confrontation. If we continue where we left off, he says, If you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector." And so basically what he's talking about is if people persist and, and won't listen whenever they're confronted by multiple people and, and by the church as a whole, then, then by their behavior, they're removing themselves from fellowship. And, and that's, that sounds kind of harsh to us, but we, I think the important thing for us to remember is that whenever Jesus talks about treating them as a Gentile or a tax collector, is looking at how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors. And the way that he treated them was to offer them forgiveness 
and invite them to follow him. But it's important to see here that, that he still encouraged us to have boundaries, to say, look, we forgive you, but there are some behaviors that, that are outside of our boundaries. And so we offer forgiveness, but we also hold firm boundaries afterward. And so this is um, one of the great books to read on this is called Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. But what they say is, is that forgiveness has to do with the past, reconciliation and boundaries have to do with the future. And so when we forgive someone, we can forgive them completely. But that doesn't mean that the, the relationship is going to return to where it was. There are going to have to be boundaries that are put in place in some instances, and those are going to have to be respected for the relationship to go forward, for reconciliation to happen. And so it's vital for us to continue to have boundaries, to, to establish those and to hold those if we are going to have real relationships. We've talked about a few things that forgiveness is not. What is forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is releasing others from owing us for past harm. As Jesus said in, in the Lord's Prayer, he talked about, about our sins, about our offenses to others as debts. And we can collect those and just hold on to them when other people sin against us, whenever they do things that hurt us, that are harmful to us. And to forgive is not just to forget that. It's not to allow them to continue to behave in any way that they want. It is to release them from owing us. We're basically erasing the ledger and, and no longer keeping track of the wrongs that they have done. And we see this in Colossians chapter 2. We read, And when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demand. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. And so we recognize that in Jesus we are forgiven, that God has forgiven our trespasses, that he has set aside the debt that we owed. And so in the same way, whenever we forgive, we're setting aside the debt that's owed. We're forgiving them, we're letting go, we're not carrying around the, the, the rocks that we've accumulated, we're letting go of them and allowing the relationship to continue, even if it continues differently. And so what does that look like? Well, in the next chapter, we get some more, some more um, guidance. He says, bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So he starts out by telling us to bear with one another. And, and so we learn to bear with the faults and flaws of one another, recognizing that none of us is perfect. We all have things that, that, that we routinely fail to do. We also just have idiosyncrasies and uh, quirks that, that can be really obnoxious to people around us. And, you know, one of the things that I know Courtney has to put up with me is that I can kind of be absent-minded. Now, I like to think of that as being really good at focusing on, on something other than where I am. Nobody else is buying that description of it, but that's how I like to think about it. And, and so that's something that I can work on, but it's probably not something about me that's going to change. And so she can decide to, you know, um, let me know about that every time it happens, but probably it'll be easier for her in the long run and better for our relationship if she just decides that she's going to bear with me in that. And there are lots of little things that people do that, that generally aren't intended as offenses that we probably don't need to confront them on, that we can probably just bear with them and let them go. And uh, especially whenever they really grate on our nerves, though, that can be difficult. And so there are three steps um, for letting go of little things that Adam Hamilton recommends that I, think, um, that I think are helpful. First, he says, remember your own shortcomings. 
And it's difficult for us whenever we remember some of the things about ourselves, the things that we have done, and particularly the things that we're ashamed of, it's difficult for us to hold things against others whenever we remember those things. We recognize that, that just like them, that, that we have struggles as well. And then the second one that he says is to assume the best of the one, that, of the one who has slighted you. And it's easy sometimes to assume that if somebody cuts you off in traffic, it's because they're just a jerk, an awful person who clearly intended your harm. Well, that, that may not be the case. And in fact, that's, that's an example of what psychologists call a fundamental attribution error. Of Whenever we make a mistake, we assume the best of ourselves. We, we have plenty of justifications, and, and we think we're just doing the best we can. But if somebody um, makes a mistake that affects us or that harms us, we assume that they had bad intentions. We don't give them the same kind of grace that we give to ourselves. And so one of the things that we can do is just assume the best of the one who slighted you. And then pray for them and pray to love them. We both pray for them, and, you know, maybe they're just having a bad day, and, and uh, whenever they snapped at us or cut us off, you know, it's just because something is going wrong in their life. And, and so we pray to them. We say, God, whatever is going on with them, I just pray for their good, that you would help them, that you would help be part of their healing. And then we pray, God, help me to love them as you do. And one of the things that we find is whenever we pray for the people who are, whether they're getting on our nerves or, or even if they've done something that, that actively harms us, it transforms the way that we look at them, and it transforms our heart, and enables us to begin to move toward forgiveness. And so those are a few things that, that we can use whenever small little slights happen. They can also help us with larger things, but the process doesn't start, stop there. The next thing that Paul says in, in Colossians 3 says, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And so we forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And for some larger offenses, for things that are bigger, confrontation and repentance may be necessary. There are things that we need to say. We need to let people know whenever they do things that harm us. We need to stand up for ourselves. Standing up for yourself is not, is not a crime in Christianity. Um, humility is not the same as being a doormat. We can be assertive to say, look, this is what happened. This is what, what you did and, and how it harmed me. And then to seek reconciliation. We can only do what we can do, though. We can set our boundaries, and we can ask people to respect them, and they can choose to or they can choose not to. But we can do our part to seek reconciliation. And then we can also all benefit from outside support. And so it's important whenever we're going through particularly bigger things that we have people who are supporting us, who are encouraging us, who are praying for us. Having a Bible study group or people who um, are part of your church can be absolutely vital for this. Sometimes we also need professional help. And sometimes, particularly with those big wounds and things that happened in our childhood, maybe that we're just remembering or just realizing what an effect that had on us, a counselor can be such a gift from God to help us to sort through that, to, to deal with our pain, and then begin the journey of forgiveness. Because Jesus asks us to forgive. And sometimes we use that as kind of um, a way of shaming people who are having trouble forgiving. And, and I just want you to know, if there's something really big in your life that, that happened to you and you're having trouble forgiving, you know, God recognizes that. And Jesus doesn't ask us just to say the magic words, I forgive you, and then to be done with it. Because he knows that's not how it works. But he does invite us to take the first step, to get help as we need it, and to seek to begin the process of forgiveness. And so what does that look like? Well, the best example that we have is from Christ himself. Paul tells us, as, forgive as Christ has forgiven you.
And the reason that we're able to forgive is not just because, you know, Jesus says white knuckle it and, um, you know, you better be forgiving or else. We're able to forgive because of Jesus' forgiveness for us. His forgiveness of us makes possible our forgiveness of others because we see in his example a love that is beyond anything that we can imagine and forgiveness that, that is so radical that it just doesn't make sense. This is what we see when Jesus was hanging from the cross. These are the words that he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. When people were actively killing him, Jesus forgave them. Jesus forgave the people who were torturing him to death. And if Jesus forgave the very ones who were actively killing him, there is no one he won't forgive. And so if you have something that that you've been carrying around that you've done, if there's something in your past that is haunting you and you just feel like this is too big for even God to forgive, whatever it is, if it's something in a relationship that you've broken, something that you've done, whether you have a history with the law, whatever that may be, God can forgive it. Jesus shows us on the cross that there is nothing that he won't forgive. And so if you are carrying around a burden today, I want to invite you just to lift that up to him, to offer it to him, and to know that the one who is forgiven, even those who kept him on the cross, offers that same forgiveness to you, that he wants to set you free, to enjoy him, and to experience the life that he wants for all of his children to be a part of his kingdom. Because whenever we accept and receive forgiveness, we are beginning to experience the kingdom life that God has for us. We're beginning to accept, to experience a new way of living in the world where we're not divided into this camp and that camp where whenever things fall apart and and relationships are hurt, that that they're irretrievably broken. But where reconciliation actively happens, where healing is common, where, where all of God's people can come together and be healed. That's the vision that Christ has for us. That's what he invites, into, uh, invites us into whenever he says, I forgive you, and invites us to say the same to people who have wronged us. And so I want to invite you to take that journey with him. And here are a few ways that you can do that this week as we take our action steps. First, I want to challenge you to identify where you're harboring unforgiveness. Where are those places in your life where, where you're holding on to the stones that have been thrown at you? Maybe it's something that happened this morning uh, whenever you were trying to, to get out the door or get everybody up and ready for the day. Maybe it's something that happened a long time ago. Forgiveness can be a really long process. In fact, I recently heard the story of someone who, who decades into their life had, had, was able to begin the process of being, experiencing that forgiveness and, and offering it to others decades after the thing had happened. And yet we have to start with identifying it with recognizing this is a place of hurt in my life, this is a place where I'm holding on, and I need God's help to be able to let go. And then, as Adam Hamilton shared, remember your own shortcomings, assume the best of others, and pray for them. Because whenever others wrong us, most of the time they're not doing it because they want to harm us. Sometimes they are, but most of the time we're not. And so we pray for them. We ask for God's best for them. We ask God to help us to love them in the best way that we can. And then we take the first step toward forgiveness and reconciliation. I don't know what that looks like for you. That, that might just be beginning to pray for the person, saying, God, I know I need to forgive this person, but that's going to be really hard for me. And so I need your help. And just begin by praying for them. It might be recognizing that, that I have this hurt from my past that, that I need to deal with, that I need someone to help me with. 
And so for you, the first step might be seeking out a counselor. It might be calling the person who has hurt you and just letting them know what they did and what effect that had following Matthew 18. But take the first step. Christ has taken the first step to us. He offers us forgiveness for everything. Take the first step to experience and extend that forgiveness in your life. Because whenever we forgive, we're able to experience the life that Christ has for us. One of the really powerful examples of this comes from the life of Nelson Mandela. As a freedom fighter, as someone who was, was seeking freedom for, for um, black South Africans in the apartheid regime, he spent 27 years in prison for resisting the apartheid government. I, it's hard for me to even comprehend that. That would basically be if I, had, if I had been in prison since I was nine until now. How could you forgive people who had taken away that much of your life? I mean, for me, that, that's high school, that's, that's getting married, that's having a daughter, that's uh, becoming a pastor, starting my career. How, how could I forgive someone who, who had taken that from me? And yet this is what he talks about whenever he was set free, whenever he was able to, to leave his jail cell. He said, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. And so he chose to forgive, to let go of his bitterness, so that he could be free. And because he was able to do that as as the first democratically elected leader in, in a representative election of all the people of South Africa, regardless of color, he was able to lead that country into reconciliation, not where there was retribution and revenge, but where there was reconciliation. I think we see in his life a taste of what God has for us, of a place where forgiveness is possible and reconciliation can happen. Jesus offers that to us. I invite you to journey with me as we take the first steps. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.